Hello. Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is your co-host, Robbie Martin. Tensions have exacerbated between the Colombian government and rebel group FARC, or the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, after the military killed 26 rebel fighters in recent weeks. It was one of the deadliest offensives since peace negotiations between the two sides began. As a result, FARC suspended its unilateral ceasefire. The violence on the ground in Colombia has been constant for more than five decades, killing more than 220,000 people and displacing millions more. Colombia is a nation removed from most U.S. foreign policy discussions. But in fact, the U.S. military has been more involved in Colombia than even Afghanistan still, committing regular war crimes and destabilizing resistance movements under the auspices of fighting the drug war. To explain the roots of the drug war and why Colombia is such a crucial linchpin to U.S. foreign policy, Media Roots is joined by Dan Kovalik, human rights lawyer and journalist. When people hear about Colombia, I think they think of the drug war. They think uh, it's one of the most violent countries in the world, a very dangerous place to be. It still remains pretty foreign to a lot of uh, Westerners, I think, uh, especially, I mean, you know, Americans of really the dynamics of the country. So let's let's go back really quickly to the Cold War and talk about the introduction of the U.S. sphere of influence in the country. Yes, well, the U.S. has had an influence in Colombia uh, really for a long time. I mean, just to briefly state, I mean, uh, many Colombian historians trace the current war to the U.S. intervention in 1903, which, as you recall, we supported rebel groups to um, break Panama from Colombia so we could get the Panama Canal. And many trace the roots back to then. But let's not go that far back uh, in detail. I think the the relevant time period is probably 1962, in which the U.S. really ups its intervention in Colombia. At this time, John F. Kennedy uh, commences what he calls the National Security Doctrine, which has nothing to do with national security and everything to do with wiping out popular uh, movements in Latin America. And there were two reasons he started uh, this so-called national security doctrine. Certainly part of it did relate to the so-called Cold War and the uh, Cuban Revolution of 1959. But what most people don't know is that it was also in reaction to the Second Vatican Council of the Roman Catholic Church, which really revolutionized uh, the church, particularly in Latin America, and spurred on what is called liberation theology, which was and is a uh, a philosophy which wedded um, Christianity with uh, with Marxism, really, and called for a radical support of the poor and for the preferential treatment of the poor. Well, the U.S. government uh, viewed this as a very dangerous uh, threat to its influence in, in Latin America. And so Kennedy began the national security doctrine uh, in Colombia in 1962. A mission was sent from the U.S. led by a General William Yarborough. And it's at this time that the U.S. begins encouraging the creation of right-wing death squads in Colombia to attack Catholic priests, to attack trade union leaders, to attract peasants. And they begin, in fact, uh, doing those very things. 
And they also begin to attack, with U.S. encouragement, um, these peasant communes uh, known as independent republics in Colombia, which really were not a, a physical threat to the Colombian state, but were certainly a threat to, uh, really, to the capitalist structure in Colombia, and I guess the U.S. viewed in the rest of the region. And so they began to attack these communes, and in 1964, in particular, they engaged in a massive attack on an area called Market uh, Talia, uh, where one of these uh, independent communes uh, were. And uh, the result, those who survived uh, that attack created what is now known as the FARC which is the main left-wing guerrilla group in Colombia, which continues uh, in operation to this day and which is now in Havana negotiating a peace uh, agreement with the Colombian government. And when we hear about FARC, you know, the corporate media and just history books, and we hear that it's just this terrorist organization, and, and it's just really interesting that you have kind of this history of backing other terrorist organizations that are right-wing, you know, to, to obviously bolster that narrative during the Cold War. Um, talk about the drug war, because I, I think that this is another, obviously, huge crux of the problem of why this, this ongoing violence is just so extreme there. Um, when did that whole initiative begin? How did it exacerbate the violence on the ground? Well, uh, a big... A big um moment uh, where the drug war became very, so-called drug war became very significant was in the year 2000 when President uh, Clinton began what was called Plan Columbia, which was a major uh, military aid program to Colombia. At that time, Colombia, through Plan Columbia, through Plan Columbia, became the third largest recipient of U.S. military aid in the world, only second to Israel and Egypt, which are always in the number one and number two spot. And interestingly, to call it a war, um, a drug war, is is really well. It's misleading, and why? Because the U.S. has always, from its inception at that time, it, it's well, and even before that, it has always attacked certain drug trafficking groups and cartels, uh, but aligned with others. And so, for example, even going uh, back uh, before uh, the Plan Columbia, you had uh, the famous uh, 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 cartel led by uh, uh, Escobar, a very famous uh, drug kingpin, and certainly he was that. Um, but the U.S. aligned with the Carly, uh, the sorry, the Cali cartels um, to attack him. Similarly, in 2000, the U.S. decided to go after the FARC, which, by the way, at that time w- had very little. Uh, to no involvement in the drug trade. Meanwhile, was happy to leave uh, the drug trade being run by the Colombian military itself that we were funding and uh, the paramilitaries uh, to leave their drug trade alone. And that is how it, it's been ever since. And the Washington Post, in fact, had an, a pretty good article a couple of years ago, which didn't focus on that fact, but did make it very clear that uh, even once the FARC did start participating to some extent in taxing drugs and in the drug trade, the U.S. It had always uh, focused on attacking their 
regions in the name of fighting drugs, but they always left the paramilitaries alone and allowed them to make money off drugs and, and to run their operations uh, through drugs. And uh, now, more importantly, I would say, since... Uh, 2000 in Plant Columbia, what you saw is a huge rise in human rights abuses in that country. You saw literally millions of people internally displaced. Columbia now has 6 million internally displaced people. This is second only to, to uh, Syria at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has had over uh, 50,000 people disappeared. Now, if you put that into you know context, uh, Argentina is considered the disappearance capital of the world. You know, in the seventies they had thirty thousand people disappeared. Colombia has has had at least fifty thousand disappeared, and I've seen figures as high as two hundred and fifty thousand. So, you see this massive human rights. Uh, uh, abuses, uh, which you can directly link to Plan Colombia and the U.S. support for the military. And the other group that was targeted uh, was and is trade unionists. Over 3,000 trade unionists have been killed in Colombia since 1986. And currently, 60% of all trade unionists killed in the world are Colombian. And again, these are the groups that really are the targets of Plan Colombia and U.S. military aid to Colombia. It's not about fighting drugs. It is about preventing any sort of social change, progressive social change in that country. Uh, Really disturbing statistics there. 60% are Colombian trade unionists killed? Yes. Wow. That's a, that's lowered from previous years where it was, you know, you had uh, 80%, 90% uh, in Colombia. Um, and Plan Colombia, of course, you know, under President Clinton, of course, Bush expanded the program quite significantly, doubling the number of military advisors from 400 to 800, increasing the number of military contractors from 400 to 600. Um, the 2009 U.S.-Columbia Defense Cooperation Agreement under Obama grants the U.S. access to three Colombian Air Force bases um, and also permits access to two naval bases and two Army installations. I mean... I think it's hard for people to to understand really the entrenched role that the U.S. military and diplomatic impunity that's been given to the U.S. military in the country because, you know, Colombia just seems like just another country that the U.S. military is in. But I don't think people really realize how drastic the effects of militarism has been on the country. And and let's go into just a few of those, Dan. Um, most recently, the horrific report um, by the Colombian government of U.S. troops raping at least 54 girls between 2003 and 2007, uh, some of which uh, those grotesque acts were actually filmed and sold as pornography. First, talk about the findings of this report. Right. So this was in a uh, in a report jointly put out by the Colombian government and the FARC as part of a joint um uh, the joint peace process. And yes, in it, there's a, an article quite interesting, which focuses specifically on U.S. involvement in the Colombian conflict uh, by an author, uh, uh, Vega is his name, Raynon uh, Vega, who explains that it's well known in Colombia that uh, both U.S. soldiers and, and contractors have in, engaged in uh, the sexual assault and rape of young girls um, he he lists uh, 54 cases in which that's so, 
and I talked to Jimena Sanchez at the Washington Office of Latin America. She said in one area alone, she, she's talked to many victims of rape by soldiers, uh, and they don't even want to come forward. So it's very clear that it's a huge, bigger problem than even the 54 mentioned in that article. And you, as you note, there's complete impunity for that conduct because as the U.S. has in Iraq, for example, and in most of the countries it, it has military operations in, they have agreements with the with the Colombian government um, that soldiers, U.S. soldiers and contractors, uh, have impunity for any crimes they commit. There, they can't be tried in in those countries. They can't be extradited for, back from the U.S. And um, so, again, those crimes go unremediated. In terms of your statement that you know people don't understand, you know, the level of involvement of the U.S. Uh, According to Ambassador William Wood, who was U.S. Ambassador to Colombia from 2003 to 2008, he said that the U.S. had more involvement in Colombia than any other country in the world, including Afghanistan, which we invaded, of course, um, in 2001. And yet you would never know that from watching the news, right? I mean, you barely hear about Colombia at all. And yet we've had this type of military involvement. It is a, it's the invisible country in the, in the invisible war that we're fighting there. Man, and this isn't the first time that a sexual scandal involving U.S. forces has happened in the country. You outline several other instances of, of this conduct in, in recent years. Dan, do you want to outline some of those? Yeah, well, recently the, ver- the head of the DEA... Uh, the drug, so-called drug enforcement uh, agency of the U.S. had to resign over a scandal in which uh, DEA agents in Colombia uh, were discovered partying with prostitutes that were actually hired by drug cartels that they were supposed to be fighting. You had in the, some of the Americas, not this one, but the one before it in Cartagena, uh, 11 Secret Service men who were there to protect uh, President Obama also uh, were uh, discovered uh, uh, procuring prostitutes in that area. You know, essentially, um, the U.S. And the, and the powerful folks in the U.S. who go to Columbia view you know, it is is a place where we can exploit both the earth and the people who live there in any way um, they so choose. How many U.S. troops are, are stationed there right now? How much military aid is currently being given, military support right now? Well, I believe there's approximately about $500 million a year given to the Colombian military. And in terms of how many troops that are there, I think, first of all, it's hard to know for sure because some of that's classified, but it's anywhere between like 800 and 1,200 uh, troops that are supposed to be there merely for training purposes and not actual combat uh, operations. And you also have CIA involvement as well. It, again, the Post or- Washington Post article that I had referenced talked about the fact that the CIA had actually uh, given um, uh, intelligence, uh, detailed intelligence to the Colombian military to be able to attack the FARC through drones and aerial uh, bombings. Um, and so, yes, we're very deeply embedded there militarily. Mm-hmm. 
And and as you mentioned before, this is not just U.S. military troops. I mean, obviously, the Colombian military is um, getting training reinforcements. And uh, once again, tying it back to uh, a training facility here in the U.S. called the School of Americas. Um, this is just a really disgraceful institution that continues to churn out, um, you know, horrific militarized units that are then deployed all over the world um, doing crimes against humanity i mean in this instance they they've committed a lot of crimes how many soldiers do you think were trained at the school of americas that were then sent back to columbia and and talk about the school and what it does well approximately 10,000 military troops have been trained in columbia oh, i'm sorry uh, 10,000 colombian uh, military troops have been trained at the school of the americas which is now in columbus georgia and have gone back to columbia some of the most notorious uh, generals and other uh, military leaders of Colombia have been trained there. And there's a direct link, of course, between the crimes they commit in Colombia and other countries uh, uh, and the training, because a training manual through a FOIA request, uh, the watchdog group, the School of the Americas Watch, uh, was able to obtain uh some uh, training manuals which showed that actually um, the troops being trained there were trained to target trade unionists, to target Catholic priests, to target uh, peasant leaders for torture and murder. And in fact, uh, one uh, publication indicates uh, that uh, in training exercises that were conducted there, they would often have someone play the local uh, Catholic priest, and that invariably in the exercises uh, they would uh, that priest would be either uh, killed or uh, or injured. <laughs> you know, so those abuses that are carried out are, are not just by accident; they're actually um, trained to do those things. And again, because these are counterinsurgents, these people are trained in counterinsurgency and they're trained to prevent uh, progressive social change, in this case in Colombia. Let's give a little compare and contrast uh, of, I, I don't know if you know that much about what Colombia was like pre Cold War, pre drug war, and, and just what it's like today. Um, I'm just curious, you know, the political leadership, just life for the average Colombian today on the ground compared to what it was like maybe back in the day. Yeah, well, it is hard to know because, again, mm -hmm. uh, this war has been going on continuously since 1964. And even before that, there was La Violencia in the 50s where 500,000 people were killed. I mean, Colombia has been a battleground uh as I said, on and off for about a hundred years. So it is very hard to to talk about, you know, there's very few people who would remember Colombia before, mm -hmm. you know, the conflict. But what I can say is that as a result of all this conflict, um, and as a, an intentional result, certainly from the U.S. point of view and the Colombian military point of view, you have one of the most unequal societies on earth. You know, where you have a very small portion of the population that owns a majority of the land there. Uh, we have a very unequal distribution of wealth. We have high unemployment. It's a very, you know, uh, it has a very suffering population. Uh, and, of course, as I mentioned, there's six million internally displaced people. 
those are disproportionately made up of Afro-Colombians and indigenous peoples. Some of the indigenous groups, in fact, according to our own U.S. State Department, are now on the verge of extinction because of this conflict. And so, yeah, people living in extreme poverty and... and um, Immiseration due, again, to the intentional policies of the U.S. Now, with that said, I mean, I, I just want to be to be accurate because if you if you travel to Colombia, certainly you can go to places and not see that. You know, you can go to mm-hmm. real nice places in Bogota, and you'd think you were in Chicago or whatever, or nice places in Medellin. You know, and the, and there are nice places in the urban centers, essentially. But if you live in uh, in, in in the countryside, um, you know, you have just uh, a very a disastrous situation uh, that's unfolding and, and continues to. You know, you have parts of the of that country that uh, that don't have uh, paved roads, that don't have running water, etc. You know, while others live in you know extravagantly. So it, it it's a it's a a very uh, it's a very unequal uh, society, and again, by uh, uh, by the intention of, of of those running this conflict. And let's talk about FARC really quickly again, because as you mentioned, now you know the Colombian military has been launching airstrikes against the rebel group. I grew up all my life thinking that FARC was a terrorist group. Why do you think that we kind of hear this skewed narrative um, that FARC is just kind of this illegitimate rogue group, just like Hezbollah, Hamas, you know, it's just kind of in line with that. Is this really about squashing kind of one of the last bastions of, of Marxism? Certainly. Um, you know, the FARC is, you know, to talk about the FARC, it's a complex uh, question. I think, first of all, Yes, I mean, first of all, the reason that it is viewed as solely a a, a terror narco terrorist group, and has been portrayed as that, because of course it fits the uh, you know the designs of the U.S. government and military to wipe them out. Obviously, you have to vilify them first, and so uh, once you do that, um, it makes it palatable to the U.S. population to support wiping them out. Again, contrasted with the paramilitaries, the right wing paramilitaries, first of all. The paramilitaries that the U.S. indirectly supports um, have committed many more crimes, uh, human rights abuses, than the FARC. So that has to be said. In terms of the nature of the FARC, it certainly has changed over time. Um, again, I think it's not fair to say that it's it's simply a terrorist organization. I think, you know, if you look, it does have goals for land redistribution and it has political goals of a leftist nature. It's not a purely terrorist organization. Has it carried out its own crimes? Yes. And, and I don't want to minimize that. And I think it's important to acknowledge that and acknowledge the victims of those crimes. At the same time, it is not... It is not fair to say that they're they are simply a narco uh, terrorist uh, organization. The other thing that has to when you think of the FARC, one one of the things people have to think about is in the 1980s, early 80s, the FARC actually agreed to put down its arms and uh, as part of a peace process then, and in return for being able to uh, 
to engage in political life openly in Colombia. Well, the result of that was is that a new party was formed called the UP, the Patriotic Union Party, which had some ex-guerrillas in it, though it had many people who never associated with the guerrillas in it. And very quickly, the Colombian military and paramilitaries wiped out the UP by murdering between three and 5,000 of their leaders, okay? So what you had is, you know, and then those remaining FARC folks uh, went and picked up their arms again. So you had a lot of the most intelligent and, and politically savvy people who were from the FARC who got involved in the UP, they were murdered, you know? And so the result, of course, was you had a different group, probably one more focused on military aims than it, than it was on the political aims. Um, but yeah, it, 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 the, the roots of the FARC uh, are from these, pe- in, these peasant communes in Colombia. It had these, they have a political goal. They're trying to make a peace process in Colombia. I think they're sincere about that, and I think they need to be given a chance to do that. And I think this over-vilification of them is not doesn't do anyone any favors in terms of supporting the peace process there. Oh, of course not. And and it just it's just funny because it's so one-sided and obviously so um and that's how it is with all of these resistance groups and um it's it's also interesting that the US government used FARC as a reason to keep Cuba like you know Colombia's support for FARC and I guess Cuba's partnership with Colombia as a reason to keep Cuba on the state sponsors of terrorist list. Um, until recently, that was another weird uh, aspect of that. Well, yeah, and the one thing I definitely want to add is this. I mean, the silliness of that is this. Whatever you say about the FARC, whatever you say about the crimes they've they've committed, they've never been an international terrorist group. Okay, they're not like Al-Qaeda. They've never attacked, you know, anyone in the United States. I mean, they've attacked some people who've gone to Colombia, but they've never attacked outside their borders. They are an indigenous group. Um focused on you know taking power in Colombia they they have never had interest in committing attacks against foreign you know uh, targets outside of Colombia and i think that's important to to think about so the idea that somehow they're an international terrorist group is is just absurd mhm yeah good point um i wanted to briefly talk about drugs really quickly bringing it back to today because um you know, some some people have talked about the drug trade and, you know, the war on drugs isn't necessarily about ending drugs, but kind of controlling the drug trade, rerouting it. Um, do you, is there any proof of CIA um, involvement in drug trafficking over the decades in Colombia? Um, or do you think that that is speculation? There is some, you know, and I am not the expert on this, but there certainly are instances in which both, in which both the DEA and the CIA have at least certainly turned a blind eye to the U.S. allies in, in Colombia trafficking in drugs. Let's, let's put it that way. And, and as I've mm-hmm. said, they've been happy to partner with drug traffickers in Colombia as long as they had the political interests, uh, supported the political interests of the United States. And that's always true. That's through... That's happening in Afghanistan, yeah. Afghanistan, of course, as we know in Afghanistan... Before the U.S. invaded there in 2001, there was virtually no heroin, heroin being exported from uh, Afghanistan. Again, whatever you said about the Taliban, they wiped out the poppy uh, crops there. Now, Afghanistan post-conflict 
produces 85% of the world's heroin. And as you know, it's a, becoming a big problem in U.S. cities again. So, you know, again, the the, 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 the U.S. claims to somehow being stemming uh, the drug tide around the world uh, is a joke. And again, there's a lot of a lot written about. There's a guy named Douglas Valentine who knows a lot more than I do, who's written several books on this subject. You know, talks about the CIA running uh, 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 drugs to support uh, our fighting in Vietnam. And, of course, uh, there's the movie that just came out uh, by the guy who plays uh, Hawkeye in The Avengers. He made this movie about uh, Gary Webb, who Mm -hmm. who exposed the fact that the CIA was allowing the Contras to run cocaine in order to pay um, for their in, uh, attacks against Nicaragua. So, you know, again, the, the idea that the U.S. is actually trying to uh, wipe out drugs is sort of a joke. Right. Yeah, I knew about the Contras in Nicaragua. That's why I was just wondering, because, of course, you know, we hear about all, all the cocaine being trafficked from Colombia. But it, it makes me curious about what other resources are being extracted because it just seems like why would the u.s be pouring so much other than just to have a really secure base right in the hub of latin america to uh, i mean are there any sort of resources what other kind of like maybe private actors uh state actors are involved in this or is it just about u.s hegemony and and locking down well there are actually colombia is incredibly resource rich it has gold, and there's been a gold rush very recently because, as you know, the price of gold jumped from about $300 uh, an ounce to now. It's, I don't know where it is. It's over 1200 I don't know. I don't follow it real closely, but it's gone up quite a lot. And so there's been a gold rush by U.S., Canadian, even South African countries, uh, companies in Colombia. It has... Uh, reserves of oil that are large. It has actually a lot of fresh water as well uh, that is and will become more precious. Um, it's famous for its emeralds. It is very resource-rich in that there are companies um, that uh, are very involved uh, in Colombia in some in nefarious ways. I mean, the most notable one, of course, is Chiquita. Brands International, which used to be called United Fruit, which is a name familiar to people who study Latin America. Um, Chiquita Brands International agreed, uh, pled guilty to supporting paramilitary groups in Colombia between 1997 and 2004. They gave them $1.7 million in aid and ran them 3,000 Kalashnikov rifles. Um, and it's generally accepted that the support Shakita gave to the paramilitary groups allowed them to consolidate their forces and to become the phenomenon that they are today. And and, and that is not an isolated instance uh, either. There are a number of instances in which private companies have supported the paramilitaries to allow them to uh, subjugate land, to subjugate unions, uh, Etc. Right, isn't I mean, isn't that why they call it Banana Republic because of what Chiquita Banana did to Colombia? To Colombia, to Honduras, to Guatemala. Mm-hmm. I'd say probably the most famous thing United Fruit Company did is they uh, were the ones who pushed for the overthrow of Jacobo Arbenz, the Democratic president in Guatemala in 1954. 
which resulted in the murder of over 200,000 civilians. Uh, it has also uh, helped prop up dictatorships in Honduras. Yes, I mean, that is where the Banana Republic comes from. <laughs> Has a lot of blood on his hands. <laughs> oh, it does indeed, and that's why it changed its name, in fact, from, from United Fruit to Chiquita to be a, a little more of a, uh, give it a little better brand uh, uh, recognition there. A little more sass. Got to Got to get the the sassy, uh, you know, genocidal <laughs> rebranding effort. I guess. Um, let's talk about what the leadership looks like right now. How can we, you know, how can we expect peace on the ground with these warring factions? What is the leadership like right now, and how can we kind of abolish the mindset of this uh, fictitious drug war? Well, I mean, on the ground, the leadership of the FARC certainly seems sincerely interested in peace. And truthfully, the current president of Colombia, Manuel Santos, does seem interested in peace. Um, the, the, the threat to the peace, I think, really comes from more right-wing entities in Colombia, which still have a lot of support from the United States, most notably former President Alvaro Uribe who is very much trying to scuttle the peace process there. And I think that, you know, what Americans can do to support peace there is, one, to get educated by, you know, uh, by hopefully programs like this, and by urging their uh, congressional leaders and the president to stop militarily supporting Colombia. You know, we have allowed... Colombia to continue this war, um, and frankly, the U.S. has intervened in a number of times to scuttle peace processes in, in the past, and so it's very important that we encourage the U.S. government to at least allow this peace process to go forward and any peace agreement to to be carried out. And do you think that you know, this kind of sweeping marijuana legalization across the U.S. will kind of raise that consciousness that, and maybe, I don't know, I mean, now we have prison reform in terms of, um, you know, nonviolent drug offenses and stuff like that. Do you think that there is kind of a new wave of consciousness and that that might help end this stronghold? Well, uh, certainly I think it's at least a beginning. Mm. I mean, I think the one problem, though, is that Again, for purposes of of the American electorate, a country like Colombia just doesn't exist for them in any real sense, you know. And I think part of it is making the war in Colombia visible to people here, so that they know where their tax dollars are going, know that their tax dollars are going to sponsor gross human rights abuses in that country that we would not tolerate in other countries, like its neighbor Venezuela. You know, for example, if the same things in Colombia were happening in Venezuela, we would have vaporized it by now, you know. And and that's what folks have to, to kind of uh, confront. And again, I think just, just educating people about the fact that Colombia exists and that we're involved in a war there is half the battle. Yeah, I mean, this is an international struggle because the system is globalized. The struggle needs to be globalized. We need to start, you know, removing this ethnocentric 
barrier and a nationalistic identity to realize a our tax dollars are going to kill people everywhere be sponsoring these gross human rights abuses as you're outlining and and it matters i mean all of all of these people are brothers and sisters and it's even more exacerbated when our tax dollars are literally going directly to this institution so it matters to everyone i really hope that people understand what's happening and really put some pressure on the government to end um this criminal this criminal partnership once and for all and let the Colombian people really develop their own sovereignty and, and fight for their own liberty. Um, Dan Kavalik, where can people find more uh, of your awesome writing and talks or whatever? Well, thank you. Uh, they can go to Huffington Post. Uh, they can go to Counterpunch. Uh, I have some pieces also up on Telesur English. Those are certainly a good place to start. Fantastic. Dan Kavalik, human rights lawyer, labor rights lawyer, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Thank you, Abby.